HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Egg Restaurant, located at 109 North 3rd Street in Brooklyn, New York. For more information, visit eggrestaurant.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest today is one of my favorite wine people, Michael Madrigal. We're going to talk inexpensive wines that taste more expensive than what they are. We're going to tell you where to bring them, maybe suggest a few BYOs, and we'll get into a few other things. We're also going to taste a muscadet on the weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Power to the people. There you go. Uh. All right, Michael Madrigal has done it all. He worked the vineyards in France. He served as head sommelier for one of the most prestigious restaurant groups in the world. He was named Top Sommelier of the Year by Food and Wine and Wine Enthusiast magazines. He's a James Beard nominee. He's one of those guys that embraced social media way before most. And Wine Enthusiast named him as one of, the, one of their 40 under 40 in 2014. He currently is VP of Digital Marketing for Wine Access, a direct-to-consumer wine sales company, which we'll get into a little later. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, Sammy. Good to see you. How are you? I'm good. All right, so here's what I want to do with most guests, but I, I'm kind of learning. I want... You have a pretty colorful background mm-hmm. and an interesting road to sort of how you got here. Mm-hmm. And I want you to take a few minutes to tell us about that. But here's the rub. I want you to take a few minutes. Speed it up? Well, not speed... Not Double talk time. fast, but what's been <laughs> happening is people just go on yeah. and on. I mean, good yeah. people and all that. Yeah. But I think it's fair for the audience that 
they should know what you've done mm-hmm. and try to frame it for them. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I grew up in Philly, and my family— See, it's too long already. No, that's—you got to set no, the go tone. Ahead. Go ahead. It's theater of the mind. You know, this is radio. This go is ahead. what we're doing. No, I grew up in Philly, and my family, they were— um, butchers from Italy and my grandfather and his brothers and they had this butcher business on lock in Philly in you know post-World War II and I grew up working in that business as a kid and I did it my entire life until I graduated school and then I moved to New York because I didn't want to take over the business even though it was really handed to me if I wanted it. Um, I moved to New York. I, I went to school. I moved to New York. I f- tried to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't. I wasn't. Wait, go certain. back for a second. Was there ever a point that you thought to yourself, "I may be a butcher. I'm going to be a butcher." Yeah, or? of course. You know, it, it, I grew up cutting meat, and you know, talking to eighty year old. Around blue, it. I was around it, and I was like the the face. I was the guy. You know, in the front, talking to the old ladies, wrapping up their chicken breasts, cutting them pork chops, wrapping up in white butcher paper, and then walking it to their car. You know what I'm saying? And they would always give you a dollar, and they would always say the same thing to you, which was, go get yourself a cup of coffee. That, it was bizarre. I don't get that. I don't get it either. But they to would old people always they would give you a buck, and they would always say the same thing. So anyway, I mean, yeah, I, I considered it. But I, I realized it wasn't, it wasn't enough. I was always a curious kid, and I always wanted to see things and do things. Most of the people around you didn't go to college. No. Family-wise. Even like so my you friend. you were one of the early Yeah, even my friend. Guys. I was the first guy in my family to go to college, and the kids that I grew up with, none of them went to college. More of them went to jail than went to Frankie college. Frankie and Angelo and yeah, Tony. And, and, yeah, and uh, Dominic. Dominic. And, like all those guys. Like, you know, lots of fist fights and lots right. of drinking in the woods and stuff like that. And I, you know, I had an older cousin who who went to prep school and who was really like with it. And I just was, he was like my North star. Like I wanted to be like that guy. So when he went to college, I went to the same one he did. And when he moved to New York, when I graduated five years later, I moved to New York too. And we lived together. So he was the influence, extremely good influence. And, um, so I moved to New York. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a degree in marketing. I was looking, I was working for like a dot com. And nothing really was. What year is that? This about? is ninety nine, two thousand. So that's the dot. Com that's the heart of it. Blow up, right? Yeah, and it was really like New York was amazing back then because every night there were these big dot com funded parties for free, and my cousin and the other guy I was living with they were dialed into that world. So we would go to these parties every night, wouldn't pay a dime, you know, and Seal would be singing at one of them. You know, it was just really funny, nuts. It was awesome, and to be twenty one years old, like getting sucked into that world was great. So, you know, my day job was working for a dot com. And then eventually I've decided this wasn't for me. And there was always that thing about working with food and working in food service that I liked, even though I thought I wanted to get away from it. Eventually, once I left this job, I started working at a restaurant and it was a steakhouse because of I had a, you know, me in New York. Yeah, it was Ruth's Chris. Wow. On 51st, 50, one, the one right across from Le Bernardin. Right, in the it, Michelangelo. Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly, exactly. And I was there for less than a year, but it was there that I, got, I started tasting wine. They had a pretty, they do have a decent yeah. steakhouse wine program. Yeah, they had like all the great Bordeaux's and they had all the great Cali's. Ca- yeah, like, and that was when 97 Cali Cab was released. And that stuff was everywhere, 
right? Right. Like 97 Insignia, 97 Ridge Montebello, Opus. Opus, like all that stuff. We were opening it and tasting it, and I just totally got sucked into it. And eventually, bastard! You never told me you started with California. Of course, wine. man. Of course, I did. But I went. I once brought you a bottle of Schaefer Hill. Yeah, Sox. I remember like that. A hundred point bottle. You like snubbed your nose at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I still I, I drank it. Okay, keep but, going. But yeah, so after that, you know, getting involved in that, I, I, I thought wine was really so cool and so interesting, and uh, a study that you would never. Defeat like you would never win against wine. There's just too much wine. There's too much information, and it's kind of like this lifelong quest, which I like that idea. There was of. a huge aura around. Absolutely, you weren't even scratching it. At no, that point, but you were getting close. Yeah, I just I was like into it like, so much where you know the things that I was into before that I felt as passionate about were music and then you know being single and you know like dating like women that I was just so passionate about wine it fell right in with those two other things that I just just, just for the record Michael is a huge vinyl guy yeah he's always looking for a vinyl yeah. like he's looking for good wine yeah Keep exactly going. it's the same kind of concept so I, I just really got sucked into it so quickly and just was all of my free time was reading books and then eventually I decided I wanted to leave the restaurant and then I saw an ad in the New York Times and the classifieds before they were doing that on the internet um, and there was a company it, it was a business called Burgundy Wine Company and a retail store retail store I knew nothing about wine I knew nothing about how wine was sold I didn't know anything you didn't know that Burgundy was the trickiest well one that too. was the funny part because yeah. You know, th- I was at this point, I was 23, 24, and I went to the shop for an interview, and it was the weirdest looking wine shop I had ever seen. It was a shop that was as big as this studio. And that was the one in the village exactly. before they moved to like the Flatiron. Exactly. Section. It was on 12th between Greenwich and Washington. Way west. Yeah, it's pretty much where the spotted pig is. Right. It's right across the street from that. So there was this shop, and I went in there, and I was like, what the hell is this place? It just – it looked like a travel agency. It was four desks. People sitting at desks. Sitting at desks and, and not, on the phone. overly stacked with wine. No, there was no wine there. It was right. just like a shelf of 10 bottles right. of wine. And I went in there, and I, from the beginning, I was like, this is bullshit. I'm not, I'm not getting a job here. Why am I, I'll just go through the motions, say thanks, and then you know, apply somewhere else. So I'm, I sat there, and I spoke to the woman, and, she, and it was the Burgundy Wine Company, and I was like – what is burgundy like i thought like why would you open a shop that sells burgundy like isn't bordeaux the real great wine of france like what is burgundy like i i had no idea and then she well sa- it's funny because you left there you left your last job with a steakhouse wine mentality exactly which isn't really burgundy yeah and the only burgundy they had was jadeau jevry chambertin which is a mass exactly produced. even though it is good but yeah, it's definitely quality yeah so I'm talking to her, and I'm like, what the hell? I don't get it. And she's like, well, Burgundy is the greatest wine. And she got all almost like, you know, spiritual about it. And I was like, okay. And so after the interview, like, she was really nice, but I was like, I'm not working here. So I went home and just looked back in the classifieds and tried to find a job. And then three days later, she called me. She's like, Michael, we liked you. And maybe you don't understand exactly what we do. So I'd like to offer you to come in for one day and see what we do. And then after that, decide if you want to work with us or not. And I thought, yeah, sure. I got nothing to lose. Yeah, like, cool. 
And I went in, and it was really, my eyes just opened up so wide from seeing the way these guys talked about wine and sold wine and tasted wine. And this was in 2001. And, you know, Burgundy wasn't, isn't what it is today. You know, it, part of the reason it is what it is today in this country was places like Burgundy Wine Company. So the people Built that... Built up a client base. Absolutely. Brought it in. Yeah, it was... Cheerleaders. They were, it was so specified. And the people that were working there were so freaking passionate about Burgundy. And it was their lives. And, you know, there was this dude there who wore a freaking cowboy hat and had like a Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestling shirt and wore cowboy boots and and dipped tobacco and, and could about, tell you more, more about, Burgundy about than anyone. fucking Chablis <laughs> and like Romany Conti than like anyone I had ever met. And I'm like, this dude is from another planet. And then there was this other dude who worked there who was pretty much the coolest guy I've ever met who was part of the weather underground and you know was like this a real radical revolutionary who lived in cuba in the 70s and built homes with fidel castro's brother and and just was like really like a fountain of like your buddies in philly yeah like but like smart you know that was the difference like very well educated so like these weird cast of characters being passionate talking about burgundy I was like, it, I don't know anything about... It pulled you in. Right. I knew that this was something I want to be a part of. How long were you there? I was there June 2001. You know, I was there when September 11th happened. And then I left June of 2002. So and from there, I moved to France. You were there through 9-11. 9-11, yeah. You it was, weren't far from... No, it was you know, right the there. West, it was yeah. right there. Wow. And West 11th and Greenwich... Um, the you, it was almost like a picture frame for the World Trade Center. You know, like certain streets, you could just see it perfectly. West 11th and Greenwich was a perfect framed view. It. it framed it. Yeah. So when yeah. all that shit was happening, there was like 60 people in the middle of the street just crying and the thing in, in the building was burning. And then I was like, holy shit, man, because I was just watching it happen. And I'm like, fuck, I got to call my mom. So I went into the office to call my mom. And I couldn't get through. And then next thing you know, you just see people running away. I'm like, what the fuck? And I go outside, and the f- building was down. Oof. We were like, oh. And then after that, I'm I like. I was in Midtown, not yeah. as close. But you really felt it. I was like, I am going home now. And I had a bike. So I biked <laughs> home, and I tied my bike to a tree outside. I lived on 13th Street at the time, 13th and 1st. And I couldn't find, like, a, you know, like a, something that chained my bike to so I chained it to a tree and then I went upstairs and like we were looking to go do something I came back out and somebody stole my bike like they stole some, it up the tree or no or they just cut it oh, like yeah. some asshole stole my bike on September 11th that you know like, yeah like you would think it would be the day yeah, it would be a moratorium of crime at least distracted <laughs> right but right? no they fucking stole my bike Jesus so yeah it was it was it was pretty bad so after that, I moved to France and, you know, I, I worked there for a year. I met some people. They made owners of a winery. And then I just moved there and lived there for about two years in uh, Nuit Saint-Georges. That was uh, Domaine de Larlo. Domaine de Larlo. De Larlo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you did what there? Uh, everything. You know, I, um, it was really shitty work, to be honest with you. But, you know, you, you expose yourself to all aspects of wine. Right. Because I wanted to do it. I didn't want to be the guy that shows up for a week and cuts a, cuts a row of vines and then, like, goes back to the hotel. I wanted to, like, right. get I wanted to get into it. Right. So I went there. I did the Harvest of O2. 
then I worked the entire year for the winery. What, what the O2 harvest it was is great. considered a good, har- a good great. vintage year? Yeah, yeah. It, they, at the time, they thought it was amazing. And over time, it's like... It was good, but not as good as... It's not vintage. as good as what they thought it right. was. I mean, it's definitely a good vintage, but it's not as great as right. they initially thought. And um, So you're done with that. You come back. I come back, and then it was weird. I remember, because I was there almost two years, and I came back to New York. It was... Yeah, I mean, I came back. I was going to stay, but my grandmother had a stroke. So then I moved back home, and then she died like a week later. So, like, my whole world was upside down. And I'm back in New York, and it's, like, early 2004. And I'm like, I fucking hate this city. Like, everybody was wearing uh, Von Dutch trucker hats and Ugg boots. And everybody was wearing it. And I'm like, what the fuck? What happened here? Like, what happened to New York? Like, because I was gone a while, like, and I was really in the the depth of right. France. I was in Burgundy, which is you like were on farms. Yeah, literally, it's like being in Nebraska. Yeah, and, and I'm like, what happened to the city? Like, this is so weird. So I had a rough time readjusting, and it took me a little while. And then eventually, I settled um, working for uh, Moet Hennessy, Louis Vuitton. I was, Wine sales? No, it was more like brand management. Nice. For their champagne brands. Yeah, it was good. And it was like a really great step after doing what I did. And then after that, I did that for a couple of years. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I got into the restaurant biz to be a sommelier. And I remember when I was telling everybody I was leaving, they all were like, dude, you're going from this cushy job with like a huge expense account with, you know, lots of freedom. To basically retail. To work, no, to work in a restaurant that's not retail. It's like you're worse, co- worse. Like you're working night. Retail's not open 11 at night. Exactly. You're not working Christmas on r- retail, right, you right. know? Like, and they were, they all, they honestly, Sam, they kind of laughed at me. They're like, you're an idiot. And that was, you know, F them. Well, exactly. And that was when, you know, sommelier is such a great go- job now, but then. It you, wasn't the rock. It was, it was 2006, image. 2007. Right. It was just starting. It was just it was guys like you that came in that elevated sort of the sure the, the role of a sommelier, right? And 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 that was funny. And I I kind of knew what I wanted to do because at that time you had Robert Bohr, and then everyone else was French for the most part, and all the French guys they were just so like. They weren't so dynamic. It really was just a few American guys and just all the... Well, at that not time... Not a lot. Not a lot. I mean, Daniel Jonas was still working the floor at that time. Right. Robert. And then the rest was a group of French guys, you know, outside of like Roger de Gorn. Right. You know, that was really it. So where were you? So I went... I tried to get a job uh, working with Daniel Blute, but they wouldn't hire me because I didn't have enough experience. So I was like, okay, I'll go get experience. And then I went to Boulay and I worked there for about six months. <laughs> was just voted the number two uh, restaurant yeah. to Le Bernardine in the 2017 yeah, well, Zagat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the food, David Boulay is an absolute creative genius when it comes to food. Yeah. You know, and, but working there, it, it was wild. He's a tough guy. I heard. Yeah. He's a tough guy. And just, it's crazy. Like I would think that, you know, the way restaurants were in the eighties and the seventies, Boulay is still kind of like that. Yeah. At least like within it's like, dude, the times have changed. Well, but right? in, in like in a good and a bad way. Yeah. Well, you know, the old stuff is still fun. Yeah, like you got to pivot. On it's just stuff. crazy. Just like the human resource part is insane. Yeah. All right, so you do that for how long? Uh, so Boulay was six months, and then I went back and knocked on the door at Daniel Balud, and then they hired me, and then that was it. And then I, so Daniel Balud, 
is Danielle probably one of the great restaurateurs in the world, you know, rivals anybody. And mm-hmm. started with, I think, his signature restaurant and then spread out to yeah. somewhat of an empire now yeah, sure. around the country. So you went to Danielle to where? To, to They gave me like a head position. At which place? It was, they were, they offered me two, one of two. They gave, because both, there were two restaurants that needed a head som. One was a restaurant that had been open for a bit of time called DB Bistro. Right. And then one they were just opening up called, it was called Bar Balloon. So they offered me, they gave me a choice of which one I wanted to work at. And you took? And I took DB Bistro because I didn't want to open, I was too green to open up a restaurant. So you knew your limitations. I knew my limitations. right decision. I made the absolute. And that played out right? It played out perfectly. Because then I went to Bar Balloon after like six months because the head sommelier had gone. And then I what, moved over. So Barbalude was already there when you were at the other place? Yeah. So it, How bar, long was it there? So Barbalude opened on January, on New Year's Eve 2007. So I had come back. Um, yeah, I was living in France again at, at that point after I left Boulay. So I came back and they're like, okay, you can have this job or this job. And I said, I want the one, I want DBB store because I know the restaurant and I can manage it. And I, I, I know what I don't know. And I don't want to, like, eat shit working. Right. Like, literally, I don't want to work 15, 15 hours a day for three months, like, as what you have to do for opening a restaurant. I wasn't ready for that. So I, I made the right choice, and then six months later, they offered me the job because the head guy had left. So I went over there, and that's when everything Was stopped. it obviously a deeper wine program? I knew you were, you knew you were stepping into something. Yeah, I knew it was level. the wine place, Barbalude, right. at that time for sure. It was, right. you know... it. it it was, it was funny because when I told all of my reps that I was leaving, a lot of them were like, I hope this is the right move for you. Because they, in their mind, the place that I was at, DB Bistro, was like the more prestigious place. Prestigious restaurant or prestigious wine program? Prestigious restaurant. Not as deep. Not, not even right. close. That's why. Right, exactly. End, for what you wanted. Exactly. I wanted the wine. Well. I right. wanted to have right. a big, like... I had I had no budget. Like I had huge buying power. Wow. I never like to their credit to Danielle and his people, no one had ever said you're spending too much money. Wow. Never. And but I was very responsible right. with the whole thing, but they were never like I, I think they gave you the slack cuz they knew they gave me so the much type of guy you were. They gave me so much slack. They never broke you my balls. Probably brought an energy and a new perspective yeah. that they were happy to and, have. And and credit to them for not getting in the way. Right. And they really let me do what I want. And it really paid dividends for all of us. So it was a good it was a good so partnership. You did something very cool, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't get you to talk about it. You started using social media as much or more than anybody at the time. You took on sort of a fledgling program and made it a very cool thing, the by the bottle, what would you call it? Yeah, it was like the big bottle by the, the glass. The big bottle. So just yeah. talk about that quickly because it was kind of a signature yeah, of sure. that. You know, no, it changed, it changed and now, the you know, game. now I go on Instagram, I see Rebel and Pearl and Ash, and you know, they're doing it. Every, it's just fine. I no, know. it's... I, t- talk to us No, about I'm happy to did. be the one to create the thing, to bring it to social media. And believe me, Sam, people from all over the world had reached, had at some shape or form 
thanked me for doing that because they applied it to their place. It's just a great idea? Yeah, it's just exactly the great idea. So in 30 seconds, explain. So what it was, it was, you know, first of all, big bottles, magnums and above, which are quite catching on the eye, selling them at cost, buy the glass, and always looking for very good wines that had bottle age to them. So offering people something by the glass that they couldn't get anywhere else in the world. And that's like every night when I would do the pitch to the waiters, because that's how we would do it. Be like, okay, the chef will come out. These are the specials of the night. Then Michael would come and talk about what the special wine is. So I'd say, this is the wine. This is where it comes from. It's 30 years old. It's in a large format. And we're going to pour it by the glass at cost. So you need to be enthusiastic and you need to talk to your tables as as if this is like the greatest thing there is because it, it is great and also just know that there's no other restaurant in the entire world that is pouring this wine by the glass you know and that kind of thing and everybody was like Whoop! They stood up straight. There's a very cool cachet to it. Yeah. Most of those wines you got at auction. Auction and from collectors. And I built up this network. through the distribution network. No. No, because I was always, for me, it was always like, I don't want to buy wine that everyone else can buy. Well, I was on the mailing list for years, and it certainly yeah. was off, you know, it wasn't stuff that you'd normally see. Well, that was the And ca- you were never bound to, like, the best vintage years. No. I mean, a great producer in an okay vintage year made a very good wine, so you would have that. Yeah, I mean... It would be, you know, a nice thing to taste. Yeah, and my gut would be that was what I'd use to what I wanted to buy. You know, that was, would guide me. And I had enough experience with wine that I knew that the bad, the so-called bad vintages were perfect for something that to drink young. So we did it that way. It was just a blast. And that was the thing that really kept me going because it was just such a great outlet for creativity. I I mentioned social media. That's where, you know, you used Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, you take funny pictures of the bottle on the street, but you would try to tag somebody behind the bottle. Yeah, sure. And and kind of work it out. Yeah. So it was again, that was like a creative thing. Like I needed something to keep me excited. And that was the thing that would make me excited to keep doing it. Now, ironically, we do the show from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, uh-huh. and a woman named Amanda yeah. Smeltz was the psalm here. She's now over, over there. Is yeah. she still doing the? She is. Yeah, okay. she's doing it in her own way. You know, she had. She's right. A... Everybody should. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But... All right. So you spend what six, seven years at uh, Bar Balloon eight. and Balloon's eight years, eight. and then very recently. You decided to pull out of that end of the business, and you went to? I went to a business that sells wine direct-to-consumer that was started by a friend of mine, and he brought me in, partnered me up, and, you know, asked for me to help him grow the business. Nice. Yeah. So let's do this. We'll um, come back and talk about that towards uh, the end of the segment. Yeah, okay. But let's talk about a few fun things. You know, I had asked you when you were coming on the show, let's let's talk about some cool things. Yeah. And you had a great idea for the show. You said to me, let's talk about inexpensive wines that taste more expensive than what they are. Right. Which I think is very cool because that totally plays to my listener. Yeah. You know, this is this is not a Psalm to Psalm show. This is a listener show that should get a takeaway. Right. But one of the things I worried about is whether that was grammatically correct or not. So I'll read it again. Let's talk about inexpensive wines that taste more expensive than what they are. <laughs> Who cares, right? Yeah, I don't know. All we right. need the ML, MLA handbook here to so make sure. So when you thought of that, 
It's a great idea because I think the big challenge now is to put a wine in front of people that that um, sort of tastes a lot better than its you know price. That's the whole point. And is also potentially an interesting wine that people necessarily haven't you know tasted. And you had right. mentioned Muscadets and Juras, so let's get into some stuff that sort of. What are what are wines we should be drinking now that taste more expensive? I mean, what, what there's plenty. You know, I have to say um, that idea came because now I buy a lot of wine retail, much more than I did before. Because you have to, because I have to. And working at the restaurant, I mean, it was like my own little wine <laughs> yeah. shop. You just like oh, I want to taste this. I want to yeah. taste that. And so now I'm like I'm and I'm pretty cheap. Like I don't like spending a lot if it's not worth it. Like I'll spend, you know, I'm bidding on Madeira's at auction right but now. Madeira is a special I know, category. but I'm just saying like and right. I'm, you, I'm going to bid a thousand bucks on a bottle. You'll raise the bar on that. Yeah, like I'll but spend a thousand dollars for a bottle. For an everyday wine with linguine and clam sauce. Exactly. You like, spend I, I, I'm not overpaying for something. Right. And there's, there's categories now that you have to pay kind of like a tax for the name. Like before, Chablis was always like this is the value. Now Chablis is kind of expensive. So... Is it fair to say that you pay the tax for Chablis because it's Chablis now? Because now it's it's like people are like Chablis, right. so Ravino, Dovisa. Oh, yeah. So good point. So now you move off for Chablis because you're overpaying. What are you drinking now? So I'm drinking Muscadet. You know, Muscadet, Muscadet is still cheap, which is great. Like you can still find Muscadet for 12 bucks at a retail store. So later on in the show, we're going to, for the weekly wine sip, we're going to taste the Muscadet. Yeah. And it's a great value. And I love buying Muscadet. I so, buy it like crazy. So Muscadet is that wine that is that classic oyster. Right. It's like Chablis. All that. It's like it's Chablis. It's like poor man Chablis. Right. You know, it's like a wine that, you know, Chablis now, you have to spend 30 bucks, 25 bucks for a bottle of Chablis. Muscadet, you can pay, you can pay 12 bucks. So, and it has the same, it does the same thing. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. If you had to put them side by side and differentiate what what are the differentiations? So I'll tell you what's the similarities first, okay. and then we'll do the differences. Similarities are there's high acid, which most, is good for food. Exactly, right? most of them are made the same way with stainless steel. No, on, no, on the least, no, no I mean you'll find much more. You'll find oaked Chablis, like Ravenot is an oak Chablis and Dovisa is an but oak not Chablis. Muscadets. But 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 like but you also find a lot of stainless steel Chablis. Okay, so boom boom stainless steel, lemony, salty. Very high acid um, and, you know, great with oysters. You know, you have that as well. The difference is, I would say, between the two is that Chablis is always a richer style of that style. It has more texture on the palate. It's longer on the palate. It's a little bit more of a wine that you can really... Used for different dishes, where Muscadet is kind of a one-trick pony. So it's a little more hedonistic, a little more it romantic. Just, it, it's, it's the full. palate opens up. So like, the food pairing, it's a different profile. You can, the you Muscadet can, is pretty much boxed into to oysters, food, shellfish, exactly. oysters, salad, oysters. That's about it. Right. But you know, but if your if if your mouth is watering for something zippy and fresh, like Muscadet, Muscadet can work. It right. can do it. It's you know, like I've, I've said this before. Like it's almost like. If Chablis is heroin, then Muscadet is methadone. You know, it's like it's, it can get you through. Okay. It'll it'll get you through. You may you may not over eventually, right. but it'll it'll it's it, a fair it'll analogy. scratch the itch. So I guess the advice is, you know, if you're thinking about white wines, and we'll get to Chardonnay in a minute, that Chablis 
has now sort of jumped the shark to some extent that it, it costs a little more, that you should be looking at muscadets. Sure. Because it's a good food pairing. Michael described the differences, which I think work well if you pair it right. Um, I think another really popular wine is Chardonnay. Yeah. So if you Forever. had a look to a fair alternative to Chardonnay, what are the things? That's, that's really a... Uh, it's it's funny that you know chardonnay is a ubiquitous grape they grow it everywhere in the world it doesn't nothing tastes as good as if when it's grown in burgundy um but it's extremely expensive like really expensive today so if you're you're looking for something made in the same style you can go a hundred miles south to the jura J-U-R-A. J-U-R-A. You know, and that's kind of a different area. Is Jura its own region? Yeah. It's the Jura region. It's the Jura. What, what's it next it's, to? It's, so, it's, it's, so it's south of Burgundy. South of Burgundy. It's like it's okay. between, so here's Burgundy, Jura's here, and then to the right of the and Jura. Switzerland. Switzerland, right, right. To the right of the, of the Jura is Switzerland. Right. And that's, you know, that cheese Comte. Right. It's like the best cheese in the world that comes from the Jura. So the Jura also grows Chardonnay, and they grow it. And vinify it, a lot of them do, in the Burgundy style. Now, Jura is sort of like a cool climate wine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little... Not all Chardonnays are necessarily... It's similar to Burgundy, I would say. Similar it climate. Is? Yeah. Okay. But they, what they do is, it, and this is what scares a lot of people off, is in the, the, the traditional way they make wine is to make it in an oxidative style. Which is what? Which is when they allow air to get in to the barrels, which makes the wine... Gives the wine kind of like a nutty sherry quality, but that's a that's the traditional way of making it. Is but that vin de Jean? Van Jean, which is like the apogee. That's the apogee of that style. Okay, but then they make these other. It's called um, uh, servoil under veil, and the veil is the mold that grows over. Right, and that's what makes gives it this kind of like oxidative, nutty, sherry-like quality. So that's one method they make Chardonnay and the other grapes that they grow. The other method they use is the Burgundian method, which is they vinify it in barrel, and then they top it up. And in, in the Jura dialect, they call it Ouye, topped up. So if you want to pay less money that, than a white Burgundy, but with the similar quality, like half the price, you're looking for a Jura Chardonnay that says O-U-I-L-L-E on the label. O-U-I-L-L-E. E, Pronounce which, that? Uh, Oye. But the translation, Oye, oh, not okay. Oye. <laughs> but <laughs> that's Manischewitz. Okay. But that is means that the, the barrels are topped up and it's the Burgundian style. So that's the closest to the Burgundian. It's wines, you know honestly, styles. it's for me like I've had wines from the Jura that are better than a lot of the best white Burgundies. But let's go back for a second because the Muscadets you can get for like ten to fifteen, sixteen bucks. The Juras are a little more. Yeah, the Juras say they'll be forty bucks. Like you spend forty bucks okay. on a topped up. But char- compared, but compared to a hundred and fifty dollar right. white Burgundy. So when you're getting to that level, you could drink Juras that rival. If you, if you the choose white the right ones, that will absolutely rival. And there's like cults for certain wines. How do you pronounce? Arbois. Arbois. So those are places. Poupillon. So Arbois. What's the guy's name? Auvergne. Auvergne. He's got a crazy following. That's like the best shit in the world, man. That stuff is great. No, it's actually not expensive. But hard to get. Yeah. But like, but then people who get it They'll sell like you can buy it right. on the secondary market. Right. You're going to pay that big sucks. bucks for it. That yeah, but that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. You know, that's how it goes. But that stuff is smoking. So, just to sum up on the Jura, 
So Jura is a great value wine if you want to sort of spend wanna, less than a white bourbon. If you want to go big, like you want to you want a wine that's really complex, that really is something to pay attention to for good value for the money for like 40 50 bucks and and really that's an oh wow wine if you brought it to yeah like that definitely that is neck and neck with a lot of good white burgundy some obvious food pairings for that for well i mean exactly what you would pair with great white burgundy like like you know like uh soul meunier like really nice fish in butter and capers. It has and, the acidity to come Oh, my God, but it has the, the richness, right. too. Yeah, I mean, right. the stuff is killer. All right, so give me one more. So we talked Jura, which rivals Chardonnay. We talked uh, Muscadet, which rivals Chablis. You know, I, mean, I have to say, Chinon I did... Chinon or, I mean, what, what yeah, comes that to stuff, your mind? Yeah, but that stuff is very particular. There's nothing so like give me, it. give me another. You know, I had, um, um, I went to this big party the other day. And they did this huge tasting of, like, the best Brunello in the world, like, 20 vintages for a grower named Soldera. Soldera. So we did this tasting, and it was like, holy was crap. Was that the Galoni thing? It was something. I yeah. And it was totally awesome. And these wines are smoking. And as I'm tasting them, there's, like, this flavor in the wine that I've had, you know, that I've tasted. Like, the thing about tasting expensive wines, it's such a great thing because... You, if you can pay attention, you can uh, you can remember those flavors, and then when you find them in less expensive wines, you're like, "Wow, that's great!" So there was a flavor that I had. Was that indicative of the Soldera of Brunello? I think it was indicative Look. of greatness. Like, okay. you, you know what I'm saying? It's like just that level of wine yeah, making. You know, like when you get like very. But you're good alluding wine. to that taste if you could find it somewhere else, or what yeah, exactly. Say? So where? So there's <laughs> there's Alianico, like. Really good Alianico. A G Ag A G L I A N I C O. Southern Italy. Southern Italy. But a lot of it is crap. That's the problem. You know, a lot of it is made in a really dirty way. So you have it, and it's just very tannic. And Where is it mostly made? Is it Sicily? Or? No, no, it's north of that. It's north. Okay. So it's Alianico is generally grown in Campania. Okay, it's a Campania one. And Basilicata. And these are two departments right next to each other. And Campania is. Um, Tarazi, that's where Tarazi is. Right. And that's like the big, like grown on volcanic soils, very big, very powerful, not far from uh, Capri. Like it's around that area, you know, like Positano. So then in Basilicata, it's a little bit further inland and in south. There's, it's called Alianico de Volture, and that's more of like a softer style. So as I was tasting the Soldera, it, it was reminding me of this wine from Basilicata, this Alianico made from this guy who is just like an incredible winemaker, makes wine in a natural way, and a guy named um, Camerlengo. And Do you remember how to spell it? C-A-M-E-R-L-E-N-G-O. And it's, he makes... It's a companion Alianico? No, he's in Basilicata. He's in Basilicata. Basilicata. Like, it's the general same Right, area. so this is a wine that's inexpensive. That what are ha- we talking, 18 25 Yeah, bucks? like 20 bucks. Okay. Yeah, so Alianico from Basilicata, from great growers who make wine in a really good way, is has greatness to it, and it's very undervalued for what Give it is. Give me a descriptor. Is it a deep... It's earthy. Food, earthy? Yeah, it's like... It's like Dark uh, color? Uh, yeah, but like kind of light, like it's a little bit elegant. So like if you have great Northern Rhone Syrah, great um, 
great Brunello de Montalcino, like that that weight of the wine where it's very flavorful and very like lots of presence, but not heavy and not really tannic. So it had that same Sounds kind pretty of good for and bucks. very savory, like black pepper and that sort of element. All right, Michael, we got to take a break. And then we'll come back and finish up. I want you to do my uh, wine list and answer a bunch of questions. Okay. We're talking to Michael Madrigal. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. The break music and the theme for this program is brought to you by the Grautet. That's G-R-A-U-T-E-T. Today's program is brought to you by Egg Restaurant. For over 10 years, Egg has focused on making the best breakfasts in New York with a menu that combines southern-inflected classics like biscuit, grits, and country ham with dishes like duck hash, chorizo, and eggs, pancakes dripping with Vermont maple syrup, and more vegetables than you ever dreamed of eating before noon. But what gets them up every morning at Egg is something different. It's the chance to improve everything they encounter, the lives of the people who work with them, the lives of their customers, the health of their local economy, and the soil their food is grown in. Their interest in food goes way beyond what they put on your plate. Food touches on everything they care about, flavor, health, social justice, art and literature, agriculture, and ecology. It's one of the reasons Egg Restaurant is so happy to support Heritage Radio, who digs into everything that matters every week. For more information, visit eggrestaurant.com. back. We're back with our guest, Michael Madrigal. We're going to finish up. We just talked about some great value wines, wines that are more expensive than they taste. Um, I wanted Michael, because he's a pretty uh, pretty good uh, New York City guy. Now that we know about some of these wines that we can go out and buy for a decent price, let's get away from where you used to be, and let's talk about a few BYOs. Mm-hmm. I know Chinatown is sort That's of a, a good place. setup for BYOs. Yeah, of course. So let's talk a couple things. Give me a few places, yeah. and then let's talk about what wines you know to bring to Chinese restaurants. People are going to eat duck. They're going to eat spicy. Yeah. They're going to eat dim sum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So give me a few BYO places. Um, I'd say the ultimate... You know, the thing that that Chinatown is, especially for restaurant people and sommeliers, is it's, you know, the neighborhood that has restaurants open 24 hours. Right. So you have to work. So that's, I mean, you're very... And li- good food. Yeah. Good enough and cheap. Um, so the one that we would go to a lot that I liked was New York Noodle Town, which is on the Bowery. Small, right? Kind of small. And like, f- like fucking surly waiters and yeah. like the whole thing. 
And um, but you could bring a bottle. You of bring a bottle. They had the lazy Susan. You know, you just bring a bunch of stuff. And you have to bring your own glassware. That's the only other thing. And I can't stress that enough. That because the glasses they have there are like the ones you buy at Kmart, like right. Libby glasses. Right. You know, like they might as well thick eye glass. Yeah, you might as well be drinking out of a jelly jar. Yeah, and um, a mason jar. Yeah. <laughs> So you definitely have to bring glasses, but we would go there all the time, New York Noodletown, just because it was open, you know, for no other reason than that. The food was good enough. You got another one? Yeah, the one that has better food. There's a few that have better food that aren't open as late, like Peking Duck House is great. You know, like right. you get you get a Peking Duck. Spectacular and, duck meal. Yeah, very, very bring good. Bring in some great wines. Exactly. So what's a good wine for a duck meal? Burgundy is always great. Burgundy? Yeah, Burgundy so you're is You're going to have the duck. You're going to have, I guess, the hoisin The hoisin, sauce, the whole, the whole shebang. scallions. Yeah, so, but, Red Burgundy. Red Burgundy, Riesling, Champagne. What about Beaujolais? Gewürz Traminier. Yeah, but like nobody wants to drink that stuff. No, right? You know, so drink a Riesling instead. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, everyone's like, oh, Gewürz Traminier is such right. a great it's food a Chinese, pairing wine. Right. But then Shut you have up. a sip of it, you're like, I don't want this yeah. crap anymore. Yeah, okay. like it's great on paper, Gewürz Traminier, not in practice. You got one more? Yeah, like uh, I like Szechuan food, like really spicy. And there's two places that I love. One is called... Um, Hot Kitchen on 2nd Avenue between, like, 6th and 7th. And the other so one... lower the East Village. Yeah, man, and that food is killer. Like, absolutely so delicious. So what are we drinking with spicy, spicy foods? Again, champagne and off-drive Riesling. Yeah. Okay. Or that's where you can go in to get, like, those... You know, Savignier or Vouvray's with a little bit of residual sugar. Like, really good Loire sweet wines. Nice. That works really well. Now... Get out of Chinatown for a minute. Give me one choice. Is there one BYO in the city that is just a great restaurant, good environment? I mean, does anything come to mind? Because I struggle to find it. Do you have any? You know, I have to be honest. I'm, you know, I'm a restaurant person. So when I go to nice restaurants, they're usually my friend is a sommelier there. So I don't want to... You know, because I'm, he's my peer, he or she is my peer, I kind of want to put myself in their hands to, like, to let them choose the wine for right. me. And also support them in buying wines from I their totally list. I totally agree with you. You know what I'm saying? I like, totally you, you really don't want to, you kind of want to be careful with that, at least if you're in the industry. Right. Because, you know, the, the Corkage Cowboys, you know, can be a little bit rough. Yeah. But, you know, that said... I don't know, to be honest with you. That's why I like going to Chinatown and bring yeah, my own glasses right. and like. So the, you know what? It's harder than you think because I've, I know in Midtown there's Phoenix Garden, which is yeah. a bad Chinese. You could bring wine, there, yeah, that but place that's is Chinese good. too. Yeah, but the list is pretty scant as far as nice places. Sure, that like I mean, pretty much everybody allows you to bring wine. You know, they'll ding you a little bit. Right. They'll make you pay fifty bucks or whatever right. it is well, for that's a lot of money. Though. Yeah, of course. You know. So you know, it's. I think it's the goodwill. Unless it's like such a special bottle, a special occasion, whatever. Right. Fine. Yeah. All right, we're gonna jump ahead. Um, I have a thing called the wine list. It's a bunch of questions that I'm curious what your responses are. I haven't prompted you on them. Yeah. They're pretty basic, but they're you know fairly informative for the listener. Mm-hmm. So. Give me the short answers. So what wine are you drinking now? I could tell you that you brought a bottle in yeah. of, what did you bring in? I brought um, a Sicilian wine Okay. from uh, the southern part of Sicily, like around an area called Vittoria, from a really great producer called Cos, C-O-S. C-O-S. 
and they are at the they're the vanguard of the natural wine movement in Sicily. They have been for a long time. Um, this is a wine that's made in pithos, which is the amphora, the clay amphora. Right. You know, like the the things that the, the ancient the old Gre- Greeks and the exactly. Persians and all what the, they would use right. for transport and for you know aging of wine. So but they this, went. This is. It's not a cheap wine. No, it's expensive. But worth every penny. So yeah. are you drinking anything now? Because you sort of said earlier, you know, you're, you're cheap and you look... Yeah, sure. No, I buy, I buy a ton of Muscadet. I buy a ton of wines from the Jura. I buy, I buy a lot of wines from Loire, Vouvray. So, so like, everything we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And right. I buy a lot of wine at auction. And you can buy a lot of... Well, you, you've become an expert at auction. Yeah, so I buy a ton of stuff. Even like cheap stuff. Right. You can buy a lot of good cheap stuff. Yeah. What about favorite, and we sort of covered this, but be specific, your favorite wine and food pairing? Um, I, I like pure and simple. I like sushi and champagne. Okay. I yeah. Every week I talk about champagne. How yeah. It's so underrated as a food wine. People yeah. don't drink it enough. All right. Favorite wine restaurant or wine bar? What's a place that's happening in this? No, city? I think what Patrick Capiello is doing at Pearl and Ash and um, he's got it Re- going. Rebel is great. Yeah, like I try to go there as much as possible. The list is awesome. Prices are good. Like it's fun. I was there last week. I'm going again on Saturday. Like I'm there often. I think I'm going Monday to a Michael Cruz dinner. Oh yeah, okay. Which Sparkling wine guy. Yeah, yeah, and, nice. And he does like Val. How do you pronounce it? Valdeguay. Valdeguay. Yeah, Valdeguay. that's like um, he's doing that. Stuff. It's one of those old grapes from California. Yeah. It's kind of like so they sort of they're hit they're doing it right. They yeah, it's, list. it's, it's good. They try. They try okay. really hard. And by the way, they have a Michelin star chef, one one star. What about you? Got a favorite all time wine? Like one wine that I had that was just the greatest thing ever. Yeah, or something that you know. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I've tasted some of the greatest wines ever made, and just like I'm very lucky. So what stands out? Like once, what I'll tell you, one stands out was um, a 1971 um, Domaine Ponceau Clos de La Roche. That's a Burgundy. Burgundy. Red. Red Burgundy. Great vintage. 71 was a great, great vintage. One of the great old vintages. Yeah, great grower. Like Ponso. Uh, P-O-N-S-O-T. right. Yeah, these are the wines, you know, and I've... What's, I, a, what's a Ponso cost today? Big bucks. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, but like not it's as much as DRC. Allotted, yeah, but, but you know, to be honest with you, they're not as good as they used to be. No. They're good. They're still good, but like that old school, because it's funny, I went to visit him after I had tasted... Like I visited that guy three or four times. And I remember talking to him like his name is Laurent. I'm like, dude, Laurent, I had this bottle. It was 1971, Clos de La Roche, Old Vines, Ponceau. It was the most unbelievable wine. He's like, my father made that wine. Oh, my God. And, you know, my father was kind of an idiot in the sense that he had no business sense. He was such an artist that he would literally clip only the perfect berries on the vine at a time in the 70s where nobody was going to spend the premium right. on the wine. He didn't care about anything. No, he just wanted to make great, great wine. And you have like great, like well-stored bottles of old Ponceau. It is the best Burgundy you'll ever have really? on it. Oh my God. Okay, good to it know. is unbelievable. All right. Now, best wine, and we've been talking about this, but give me a couple of picks. Best wine under 15 bucks. 
retail. Muscadet. A red and a white. So the white is a Muscadet, yeah. 11 to 15 bucks. Give me one or two makers. Uh, it's uh, Muscadet from Domaine de la Pepierre. Okay. And Luno, Pierre Luno is also L Luno. L U N E A U. Also Domaine Lecu, L apostrophe E C U. We're going to taste something you never heard of. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, so, f- and then for red. Red. For red. 15 or under. Uh, I would have to go to Italy, to be honest with you. Because Beaujolais is now a little bit more expensive than 15 bucks. So great southern Italian wines like Montepulciano, you know, um, uh, well, Montepulciano is more like center Italy. Say, that's it's like more like the center. Yeah, Campania like is getting south yeah, in Sicily. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say like maybe like central, like a good Montepulciano, okay. something like that. Or Puglian wine, like a Nero Davila from Puglia right. can be very good too. Nero Dav- Nero D- pronounce it for me? Nero Davila. Is a very cool grape, dark brooding, yeah, yeah. food grape yeah. and all that. All right, we sort of talked about this before, but maybe you can come up with another one. Who, who's sort of hitting it out of the park right now? I guess you could say Rebel and Pearl and Ash. Yeah, like Pascaline Le Peltier. You know, they just reopened. reopened. That's really great. You know, that that that's such a good wine list. Now, why? Because she curated a terrific list. Well, yeah. What's the signature of the list? Is it? Well, you um, know what it is. At the end of the, biodynamic. Well, yeah, but it's not just. I mean, of course, that's the focus, but it's not just tethered to that dogma right. i mean there's a lot of good wine there and you know at is the, the at, list price reasonably uh, that's 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 the, the, that's the thing you know like everyone knows everything at this point you know with the internet you know sommeliers we all kind of like want the same thing so the only differentiating factor is your prices right are your prices so if you have a good selection and the price well like i'm there man i'm going right yeah so that's Rouge Tomat. She just moved from uh, Upper East Side to Chelsea, right? Yeah. Right. All right. Those are all good choices. At some point, we'll post them on our um, social media sites. All right, Michael, stay with us. We do a segment every week called The Weekly Wine Sip. And we're going to taste an inexpensive wine that tastes more expensive than it is. We're going to taste the 2014 Chateau Latouche. You ever hear of it? I think so. Muscadet Sevre at Maine. Sev and Maine. Sev and Maine, which is a great region of Muscadet. It's the best region of Muscadet. So it's got, you know, some good hybrid there, but we'll see how good it is. This is a white wine. It's from the Loire Valley, Mm -hmm. right? The the Western Loire. Uh, Western Loire, France. Made from a very specific grape that's used for Muscadet, Melon de Bourgogne. De Bourgogne. De Bourgogne. Mm-hmm. The wine retails for about 11 15 bucks, which is the range we've been talking about. So it's a great value wine. And this particular wine, the reason I brought it in, it's more readily available oh, yeah? you know, okay. at different wine stores. Cool. Um, so let's, I'm reaching over. Let's give it a taste. I'm going to pour you some, Michael. I'm going to give you a fresh glass. Yeah, okay, thanks. Will help me here. All right. So let's look at the color first. Is this a typical color from Muscadet, darker, lighter? This, um, I mean, yeah, I guess that's about right. What Would you say it's 2012? It's 14. 14, yeah. It's a little bit actually darker than I would. Okay. Yeah. It's a little darker. All right, let's go with the mouthfeel. Let's give mm-hmm. it a sniff and a sip. Let's go sniff first. Apples. Apples? Yeah. Is that typical of Muscadet? Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Okay. What somewhat. else you got? I mean, this glass kind of sucks, I have to be honest. So it's Thank hard you. to really get. 
So I'm trying to get as much You're out of it. Plastic. Right? Yeah, I'm yeah. getting plastic. I'm getting petroleum jelly. Like stop. The <laughs> Go through that. What, what else do you get? I mean, you definitely smell like uh, stoniness. Okay, is yeah. that characteristic? Totally. Of Muscadet? Totally. Flinty, stony. Stony, kind of like you know, like sea seashells. If like you grab one and you crush it on the ground, and it's then a you little smell darker, it. Yeah. sort of a stony. Yeah, like a stone apple. and flowers, like white flowers. White flowers. Yeah. All right, let's uh, shoot it over the tongue here. Mm. Yeah, good. It's fruitier than I than than the norm. I'd say there's it's a little acidity. Yeah, sure. A teeny bit of an effervescent hit. A little bit. As you and you can Is that see, good it. or bad? It's fine. You can see see the the glass. How you see those little bubbles? There's a bit of effervescence. It's usually trap gas. But often typical of a musket. Yeah, because a lot of these growers do that. They'll shoot it with a little bit of uh, gas, just so it can be help with the um, the transport of it, so it doesn't re-ferment. I also, that it gives it a liveliness when you pop open it. I don't bottle. get the dryness that you get for most muscadets. It's a little sweet. It, uh, Am I wrong about no, that? No, sweet, not, not sweet, sweet, fruity. It's fruity. like I said. Yeah, it's a little fruitier than than I'd expect because a lot of these can be bone dry. Um, the norm is bone dry. Right, it's not bone bone dry. No, the acidity is pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not that citrusy, which is also a. Uh, it's there. It's I there. Mean, yeah, like underneath, there's like that little energy of, of acid to kind of tell you that. What do we What do we pair this with? This is the oysters shellfish. Yeah, I guess you know it, it's not as cutting as the, as as much as I would like to go with oysters, to be honest with you. So you could open it up to other Yeah, have it look like canned can sardines and like a salad or something. It's funny because you go out and buy a muscadet and you're going to pair it with maybe oysters and you open a particular bottle and this one shows differently. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the, the problem sometimes, you know. So thumbs up, thumbs down, neutral. I'd say thumbs up. I mean, it's okay. it's good enough. For eleven ninety, good enough. Like, okay, I could drink this cold in a better glass outside Which, with a good pairing. Yeah, it's right. fine. I could drink it. All right, so that's the two thousand fourteen Chateau Latouche Muscadet Seven Maine. Seven Maine. Seven Maine. All right, <clears throat> so we're winding down. Finally, on the Grape Nation Weekly Wine Calendar. Raw wine is a two-day celebration of the most exciting collections of natural, organic, and biodynamic wine artisans ever to come together in Brooklyn. That's this weekend, November 6th and 7th, from 10A to 6P at 99 Scott Avenue in Brooklyn. That's sort of an exhibition space. For more info, go to rawwine.com. Where is that? Is that in Williamsburg? Uh, that's Brooklyn. It's not Williamsburg. No. No. I'm not exactly sure where it is. Because I want to, I want to go to that. Isabel Legeron, who's the raw wine person. Yeah. I, I had asked her. I said, "What's 99 Scott Avenue?" They're the first people to use the space for an event. Wow! So it's not something like metropolitan that you've been <laughs> right. in at. Um, also, there's the Taste of Oakville live at Carnegie Hall on November, November 16th. Uh, Oakville is probably the best growing region in Napa, and mm -hmm. some of the most famous wines come out of there. So if you want to taste a bunch of Oakville wines, Carnegie Hall, November 16th, 7 to 9 p.m., go to oakvillegrowers.org. Both events have a fee, so you should know before you go in. You're going to have to pay to get in. Sam, can I mention something? Uh, absolutely. There's, um, <clears throat> I have, uh, I've been a big fan of wines of Ontario. Over the I last know that huge Norman Norman Hardy man Norman that guy Hardy, is, he's a stud fan. he's so he's going to be in town 
with 10 other growers from Ontario on Tuesday, November 15th. So that's a couple weeks from now. Yeah, that's like almost two weeks. Not right. qu- two weeks from yesterday. Yeah, two weeks from yesterday. Where? It's at Pasquale Jones. Which is a, the Charlie Bird. The Charlie Bird, restaurant. yeah. In um, Now, how does it work? Is it a dinner where you No, pay? it's first of all, it's free. It's okay. for trade only. And it's a walk-around tasting from 12 till 4.30 okay. at Pasquale Jones with wines of Ontario. And that's like Niagara and right. Prince Edward County. And with You'd be re- surprised what's going on there, Dude, those right? wines are killer. I know. I know you're a big... I highly recommend anybody listening to go check that out. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about before I do the show close is you are currently at WineAccess.com. Uh-huh. WineAccess.com is a direct-to-consumer wine company. Yeah. And you guys curate, seek out and curate great wines. Talk about what's going on there for a couple of minutes. Yeah. I mean, the, the future of wine sales is online and I wanted to really get a in-depth study and job in doing this thing and seeing how it works. And it's amazing, you know, if how to sell wine in your own voice to 300,000 emails and make it into a business is something that was always kind of interesting to me. So I'm kind of doing this thing and sourcing wines. So but there's multiple elements. There's sourcing the wine. Sourcing the wine. Looking for interesting, well-curated wines. Mm-hmm. There's creating a story mm-hmm. to make it jump out at people. And then selling it. And, and then selling it. And making and all online. And all online and doing the things, almost like creating this narrative. So wait, let's go to the mechanics for a second. So I go to wineaccess.com. I go on the site. I could go on and sign up, right? You sign up and then you get the emails depending on right. what state and you live in. The email will be one of the <laughs> wines that you Yeah, that we that we'll find. And it's a different wine a day? Two a day, every Two day. Two a day. Right. But okay. we segment it like depending on right. where state you're in. And um, so what I'm th- learning, I'll say this. You know, people say, oh, Americans, you know, they only want high scores or they only want California. Are they talking about you? No, but like, Uh, you know, the consumer. No, but even like winemakers and and people who sell wine, they think that a wine can only be sold in a certain way. And I'm learning through empirical evidence experience that it's not necessarily the case. Like you can sell a wine that is a natural wine. That is a wine that they've never heard of from a place they've never heard of. And if you can like create a good story where people can understand and connect, you can sell it. And that is something that I'm very interested in learning more about. Well, you did that on the floor yeah. at restaurants. Well, that's but I'm just now trying to apply it's, it. It's a larger constituency, and it's a different presentation. Absolutely. And I'm assuming the first write-up you did is different than the one you did now. And Absolutely. I'm sure there's buzzwords. And yeah, and there's you know, like a people... rhythm. There's right. a rhythm to the story. There's definitely buzzwords. But... So... Give me. Let's give the people an idea. In the last few days, what type of stuff has popped up on Wine some, Access? Some killer stuff. Like I did a deal with Francois Chiden, who's like the greatest grower in Montlouis. Right. We did an offer for him. It did C H I D A I N E. Exactly. Chiden. Good then, guy to grab some yeah, wine. Great from. stuff. Yeah. And then I did um, another really good one, uh, Domaine Bonardo, who's like a very small grower in Chassagne Marche. We did a great deal. Sold out. 
today I did something from South Africa, Molderbosch, like a Molderbosch is one of the most boom. famous names. Yeah, and the Africa. stuff is legit. So it's not like lot ends and crappy stuff. No, no, no. It's, it's well curated stuff. It's guys like Michael Madrigal digging deep, looking at their contacts, trying to bring you some great wine. Yeah. For love. For love. So that's wineaccess.com. It wouldn't hurt to maybe get on your computer, Google it or get on and check it out, and Michael promises you that you'll get some good wines. Mm -hmm. All right, we're wrapping up. Michael, thank you for coming on the show. Michael Madrigal. Go to wineaccess.com to find some great curated wines by Michael and the crew at Wine Access. Thank you to our engineer, Pierre, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. Go to heritageradionetwork.org for more info. We'll see you next week. Theme music and break music for this program is brought to you by The Groutet. That's G-R-A-U-T-E-T. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.